Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. So this is a fun one. Yes. This was an interview we got to do uh, while we were out in L.A. It was the first time we visited the L.A. studios. It was really nice. It was. You got to bond with the dog. It was Uh, an emotional journey. It took a long time. I stepped on her. She was mad at me, and I had to, like, gain her trust by pretending like I didn't want her to pet her. Yeah, yeah. It was a whole thing. It was. I got to see it all play out. Uh, This was on Valentine's Day. It almost, it broke my heart. Samantha, literally, before we walked in, had said she needed to find a dog to pet. Yeah. Because we were in, we were in LA for several days, so you were away from peaches, and you were feeling the urge. I, I needed, I needed to touch a dog. And you did. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I said it. I, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, yeah, so uh, our friends over in the L.A. studio has an office dog. Sophie has her dog there. Yeah. Anderson, mm-hmm. Andy, mm-hmm. Um, who is an adorable, adorable little dog. Also, the name confusion there was, was there hilarious. Was, there was a, Andy and Annie was a little confusing. Um, but yes, uh, we got to sit in and take a tour of their beautiful, mm-hmm. with two very nice showers in their office, by the yes, way. Yes, yes. I, mean, I was like, dang, they got a waterfall shower, y'all. Yes. It was, it was intense, as well as a nice little balcony. Mm-hmm. It's not little. Nice balcony. It was pretty decent size, yeah. It was, yeah, it was nice, as well as the fact that we got to hang with our sister of our yeah. network, mm-hmm. Samara Bay. She is starting her podcast with us called Permission to Speak, which is very exciting. She's doing some amazing things. She is a dialect coach. Yeah, yeah, and was, she's worked on, like... Avengers Endgame, Wonder Woman 84, all kinds of things. And now she is also working with women running for office. As we've spoken about on the show, there is no shortage of uh, critiques around women's voices. Right. Right. And it is really interesting what she's doing in her podcast, which as you as you listen to this, I believe will have dropped for a medium that is about speaking right. and listening. Right. There really isn't that much out there on that topic. <laughs> Especially for women, other than being told you are annoying. <laughs> right. And you know, honestly, I I didn't think this was gonna happen, but I did have like a tiny little fear in the back of oh, my yeah. brain that we were gonna get there and she was gonna be like, so right. I listened to your show, right. here are my notes. I, I definitely had the moment of like, she's gonna be like, these are the th- reasons why people think you're annoying. Yes. And these are the things that you need to work on. Yes, and she absolutely was a delight. Um, actually, really reaffirming. Yes, about just finding the things about you that are authentic about you, right. and not picking apart but building up. I mean, she helped us before our panel. Yeah, we had a panel. After. We still kind of messed it up a little bit, but we did. The last thing she said to us was, "Don't apologize." The first thing I did was apologize, and then I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I did the thing where I apologized." Oh no! Stop. Yeah, but no. it went okay. I, it did. It, it takes a while to learn those It lessons. wasn't. It was uh, the way you spoke that you were apologizing, not necessarily apologizing. Right, right. Yeah, which is yeah. A, a gradation of apology, right. especially for women. Which is what she speaks about. It's like yeah. just because you didn't say you're sorry doesn't mean you're not apologizing. So a great another piece of advice. Right. And um, the panel we were speaking on was about getting angry and for women, what does that look like and why do a lot of us, including me, struggle with it? And it was great because she also gave me this wonderful piece of understanding of clarity that 
uh, I haven't seen a lot of healthy examples of angry women in my life, mm-hmm. modeled in like my specific life, especially mm-hmm. when I was younger. And just normalizing that and seeing more and more of that, because then I don't know how to express it very well. I go from zero to 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because I don't, right. there's no examples for right. me. So that was another another wonderful thing I got out of that conversation. As well as podcast voice. Yes. Which is something that I struggled with before I before I started and when I first started where I thought I had to sound a certain way that would be the most likable version of me, mm-hmm. but everybody hated that version. Right. Because <laughs> they could tell right. I wasn't being me and they did not like that. Yeah. Which as we know with women, if you're not authentic, get out. And even if you are sometimes, get out. <laughs> yes. But it is changing. Um, and this was a really great conversation that we got to have with Samara. And we're very excited to share it with you. So I guess we'll let past us and past Samara take it away. We have with us a very, very special friend, Samara. Can you introduce <laughs> our, yourself for us? Uh, my name is Samara Bay. I am based in L.A., and I am a dialect coach for TV and film and also sort of a speech and communication coach for politicians, for entrepreneurs, for anybody, I like to say for anybody who's interested in using their voice to get what they want. How long have you been doing this work? I got an MFA, a master's in acting in 06. And I was like dead set on being a Shakespearean actress, like <laughs> regionally, not even like, I, I wasn't, I mean, maybe like New York, Shakespeare in the Park would have been great. But I was like, I'm going to make no money and make art and like <laughs> never have a family and never, I was like, I really like romanticized the nomadic existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, honestly, you know, to all the nerds out there listening, like having a Shakespeare background has had a massive impact on everything else I've done with my life. But starting in 06 when I got out and I moved to New York and was trying to, you know, make the acting thing happen, I had already kind of picked up some mentors in this dialect world. It's a pretty small world. There's like 20 of us total on both coasts. A few, there's somebody in Atlanta, there's somebody in Chicago, but for the most part, that's it. It's like less than two dozen. And um, a lot of us actually have the same agent who represents us (laughs) for TV and film stuff. So like, you know, that's sort of how the work happens. And there was obviously a process over many years, both in New York and here, of me being like, that's a cool side hustle, but like, I'm an actress then. (laughs) And then over time, I was like, wow, I have a lot more fun actually doing this and, you know, supporting actors and kind of allowing myself to be kind of an anthropologist, sociologist, like just thinking about the ways humans communicate rather than, you know, endlessly trying to fit some type that I was never going to fit. It was like a a many-year progression, but really I've been dialect coaching now for like almost 15 years. Wow. And how do you get into something like that? I was reading some of the the dialects that you've coached before. Like, how do you even do that? (laughs) Um, I mean, it is a bit nerdy. It's quite fun because when you're actually coaching somebody, it's very visceral and you're in the space with another artsy person and it feels silly and and embodied and kind of just creative. But there is an initial step, which is not uncreative, but it is a little headier, where like if I'm being, what I'm working on right now is a 1950s North Carolina African-American vernacular for a couple who are like farmhouse, but aspirational educated. 
that is a specific story, quote unquote, we are telling with that accent. And then for me, it's like I can either just like do a search on YouTube for like North Carolina, the end, or I can really try to find somebody, hopefully even somebody from an earlier era, there's like, you know, all kinds of, YouTube is kind of a time capsule if you think of it that way. Mm -hmm. And I found this one guy who really fits the bill and is now in his like 80s or whatever, 90s, but would have been the right age at the time. And he did this speech that, of course, made it onto YouTube because the internet. (laughs) And um, it's beautiful. He's from the right place. He has the right spirit of the character. And um, I break down the sounds using the International Phonetic Alphabet. Wow. I know. It's pretty cool. (laughs) Um, By the way, that's called IPA, and it is not the same as the beer. Um, (laughs) But the International Phonetic Alphabet, very simply, is a symbol for every sound. So instead of the letters, which if you have the letter A in a word you don't know, it literally can be A, like apple, ah, like father, aw, like A-W, ah, how cute, ah, mm-hmm. uh, A, or uh, like about. Mm-hmm. So that's five sounds with the letter A. Wow. And now in International Phonetic Alphabet, we have five different symbols. Which, by the way, up top, when people take linguistics classes or take speech classes, that's a hard thing to learn. Like, especially if you're an artsy type, you're like, that looks like math. It's a lot of literally <laughs> Greek symbols and things like that. But the initial, I mean, I guess I only say that because if anybody here has ever like experienced that, the initial hurdle sucks. But on the other side of it, it's like a secret code to decode everybody's accent. And it works. Do you see that when you talk to people or you're trying to get, like, as you're talking, you're like, I mean, I'm, I would like to think I'm kind of kinder than that. And I'm like, I, I, what I've discovered about how my brain works is yeah. I can kind of either focus on content or focus on sound. Right. So if I'm actually having a real conversation with people, I am not just being the ass. It's like, it's like, I can tell your A sound is a little flat. <laughs> but if somebody says like, what, you know, yeah. d- like diagnose me, I'll, I'll start to listen a little bit right. closer to that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I got nervous. I was like, oh, Annie. It, we're gonna have to. Talk with her. <laughs> She's gonna be taking notes. Well, we're gonna but, be told. But, I, but I'm gonna, but I'm gonna make it real here because part of the deal with my version of doing this, and there is sometimes older guard who doesn't treat this the same way because this is how generations work. But for me, who's in my 30s, who is you know well aware of like. <sighs> intersectionality, um, I think it's part of my job to, A, not judge accents at all. Mm -hmm. Every every single person sounds different from every single other person in the entire world. Mm -hmm. So, like, we should revel in the the ways in which our life has influenced our sound. It's like a thing I should, I should, it's like I should do yeah. that out. You should. Um, <laughs> but I believe it. And, you know, and so relatedly, what I want is for people to feel as free as possible with the way they communicate. And actually what I think is like the way that we hear powerful people talk should just change. Mm. It's not that we should change. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm not here being like, oh my God, you guys are not sounding standard American. <laughs> standard American is a made up accent. By the way, okay, now I'm switching into standard American. This is a made up accent that exists where it's the most clear, open, energized version of every vowel and consonant sound. It's beautiful and also does not sound like a human, you know? <laughs> it sounds robotic, yeah. Yeah, and and I can tell it, like all of this sort of like color and dynamics in my own voice suddenly starts to go away and I sound really neutral and like, okay, great. Right. What do you 
do with a neutral person, you know? <laughs> well, that's what it seems that they want women to be is just neutral. Well, yeah, who's they, though? I yeah. mean, we've got to, yes. Exactly. Yes, we've got exactly. to sort of uh, uh, take charge of what those assumptions are. Right. And, and also, honestly, be better listeners of other women. Right. Ourselves. Right. And you, you did start talking about intersectionality when it comes to uh, how you hear things and when you if you critique, you didn't say that word, but I'm assuming a part of what you have to do is critique and just kind of break down what may be happening with a conversation even and going as far as, okay, let's say I'm asking you, please don't though, <laughs> I'm asking you <laughs> to critique me and give me a feedback on what this is. How does that look like when it comes to the fact that I am A, a woman of color, B, English was not my first language, yeah. C, I am Southern. What does that look like for you in consideration in coaching? Especially if it's not for acting, but it's really for sort of quote-unquote real life. Right. Um, it is not at all about the things you're doing that deviate, quote-unquote, from standard American, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, a made-up accent we just talked about, right? <laughs> yes. Right, yeah. right. It is not about that at all. It is about the ways that I can tell that you, the generic you, generic. one person who would be sitting opposite, the ways <laughs> that I can tell that you are uh, not allowing yourself to freely be you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that suddenly sounded very 70s. <laughs> but, you know, like the, the ways that we get in our own way because we feel like there's only one way to sound uh, mm-hmm. powerful or authoritative mm-hmm. because of all kinds of societal stuff. I mean, it has. it's not like what part of my interest in this podcast and in talking more about this stuff is that this is not about like each one of us in our siloed little personal, you know, in our brains has to be fighting this alone, being like, oh God, when will people take me seriously? I don't know. I don't sound like the other people. What are, you know, mm-hmm. what we should be able to do and what I want to like make sure that conversation happens around is like, we're all thinking that. Right. I almost swore because I feel very strongly about you this. You should. We, we can we just bleep all, it out. We all feel this way. Right. I mean, whether it's actual imposter <laughs> syndrome or just I don't feel like I belong because fill in the blank reason. Mm-hmm. My, I'm people have told me I'm too big my whole life. People have told me I'm too small my whole life. People have told me I'm too loud, too quiet, too millennial, too grown up, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it's so much stuff that we've, uh, you know, picked up the cues on our whole life and navigated and, like, go us for navigating, um, like, you know, the things that society has told us to do to fit in. Mm -hmm. But, like, when we want to stand out, when we want to be on a stage and, you know, give a presentation in a voice that is both ours and also, like, the, I don't know, most powerful version of us, we do have to sort of face the ways that we've maybe minimized ourselves. Right. And so what I'm really doing with people is calling out that stuff in a way that's, like, loving enough that they can actually grow, not, not like, obviously in a way that's like, <laughs> you're Get doing better. badly, so now do better, <laughs> which, by the way, doesn't work. And, uh, and I have a four-year-old, also doesn't work with a four-year-old. <laughs> you're screaming, just do better. Right, exactly. Uh. It's, weird. it's weird that that doesn't... Now, I mean, yeah, but that is the thing, like, massaging, like, good, 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 like, empowered versions of people out of themselves is sort of the... The, the secret sauce. Right. Well, it is really interesting how we have such anxieties around our voices, especially women. And as you were saying earlier, it's a huge anxiety when we have to listen to our own. And I know mm-hmm. so many people who can't stand it, like will not do it. And a lot of listeners have written into us and said, how did you find your voice? How did you get comfortable doing what you do? And a lot of times I have to say, I never really did, but I just learned that 
it's you, you're the thing that is making the special whatever podcast, you're the thing. Um, and, and sometimes that's hard to accept and some days it's easier to do. Um, but what would you, do you have any advice for finding that acceptance in yourself? Um, I mean, I, there's a lot of different approaches and it really, ba- it, it is largely based on, on each individual person's like what, if you, if you listening are already thinking like, what do you do when you're having a bad day to make yourself feel better? It's probably the same answer for how to trust your voice more. You know, whether it's yoga or meditation or dancing to, you know, your favorite song or hanging out with friends. But my um, my sort of dream is that the version of ourselves that we are the most comfortable with and love the most in private context when we're surrounded by people that get us is the version that we can scale up into our public spheres. Mm-hmm. And what that scaling up process looks like is something. It's not nothing. We don't I'm not saying that our private self is exactly appropriate for every public, you know, scenario, but it's probably clo- more close than we kind of tend to think. There's a sense of like formality that we I I'm kind of obsessed with this idea that we all kind of think the world is more formal than it really is and that the most powerful people can afford to be less formal. So what is that to kind of play in that land of like, I'm just me, I'm conversational, and now I'm going to talk in front of 400 people instead of four, and what is that? I might have to be a little louder. I might have to energetically like reach the back of the room, regardless of if I have a mic or not, but just sort of like energy-wise, heart-wise, you know, sort of like Care Bear (laughs) stare-wise. But like, I'd like to think that in almost every profession, and this does range, and I'm not, you know, one-size-fits-alling it here, because, you know, corporate and legal are different than whatever, tech, like everything's different. Um, but uh, but I, I am kind of obsessed with this idea that um, we can bring our conversational storytelling real selves into public in ways that we don't always trust. Right. We have some more of our conversation with Samara, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Obviously, you have a goal. You have a mission. Mm-hmm. And with your mission, we know you're coming with a, a podcast in our network. Yay, welcome yeah, to the family. Oh, my God, thank you, you guys. <laughs> Come welcome to the family. It's like a big vocal hug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're so glad you're a part of it. Can you talk to us a little bit about what your show is based on or what your show is about? Yeah, I'll actually, maybe I'll give you the, the origin story. Okay, so yes. I went to Princeton undergrad. Um, I know, very fancy. <laughs> um, but actually, what felt the fanciest was that a year and a half ago, um, I got a call from uh, some Princeton alumni person saying that they were doing a women's conference back on campus for like 3,000 women and Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan were going to speak at it because they're both alums. And would I be interested in doing a, here's how it was pitched to me, a 50 to 100 person workshop on The Voice as like a little breakout Mm -hmm. something something. And I was like for not, this is like non 
actors, non-creatives, right. whatever, just whoever shows up. And they were like, exactly. And I was like, I don't know what that would look like, but absolutely. <laughs> I can figure that out. And um, and I have to admit that I was, when I got the call, I was in Washington, D.C. for a month coaching Wonder Woman, the new one. Yes. Nice. That hasn't come out yet. And um, and coaching Gal. And I was feeling like, you know, pretty, yeah. pretty uh, hot <laughs> is the word that I was going to say. And I'm yes. like, how do I say that without <laughs> swearing? Um, I was feeling pretty good about myself. And so I called it How to Use Your Voice to Get What You Want. And I had just started working with women running for office and was sort of mm-hmm. interested in what that is to translate what I do in one industry into kind of all industries and kind of the patterns that I had noticed across industries from basically women who are more similar than we think, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So a week before I flew out for that, I got a, like automated email that I think went out to all the people who are presenting at that conference that just said how many people had signed up for my 460 people. Oh, dang. And I was like, okay, so my 50-person workshop <laughs> just got like a whole different, you know, and, and what I learned from that, first of all, is that I needed to actually figure out what I was going to do. Um, <laughs> but second of all, that, um, you know, if that was like a market research on how people feel about needing to use their voice to get what they want, like, right. oh, turns out a lot of people need that. And I really was able to make my my hour 15 that I had up on that stage be partly me kind of setting up what I the patterns I have noticed and what I what I think is true. But also the whole second half really was like a group discussion. I made sure there were microphones in the audience and I asked people like what made you show up? And there were so you know, there were 22-year-olds up to 70-year-olds. And it was exclusively women in that room. And the stories that came out were exactly what you'd imagine. You know, there was the 22-year-old who had just started a podcast and was getting trolled for her voice not sounding like listeners think it's supposed to sound like, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there was a middle-aged woman who was talking about her teenage daughter who was doing Upspeak, and she was like, you know, deathly afraid that her daughter was going to like, quote-unquote, not be taken seriously, which Mm -hmm. I feel like is like a, you know, Mm -hmm. like a thing for all of us. Um, (laughs) And then there's this older woman who stood up in the back of the room and she said... I'm the only female board member of fill-in-the-blank massive financial institution, and I can't get a word in edgewise. Mm. And I was like, is anyone else here out of you know the 400-whatever people um, in corporate and can speak to anything that works? And people started to stand up mm-hmm. and basically say, here's something that worked for me. Mm-hmm. And I thought that is the magic of what just happened. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't me. I, I got, like, such lovely feedback afterwards when people were like, you should do a TED Talk. And I was like, thank you, but actually, I mean, <laughs> sure, if you're, if you're, if you're TED yes. and you're asking me, then I'll show up. But, but no, I mean, I really was like, the magic of what happened was that women across industries, across ages, were sharing best practices, on what worked for them. Mm -hmm. And like, I sort of was like, I don't think this exists. Yeah. Period. Right. So uh, it was really quite shortly after that that I started pitching this podcast idea. Because I I, I mean, the in-betweeny thing that happened is that Paul Shear, who's like a podcasting genius and and, um, has like four of them, asked me to be on one of them. This is so ridiculous. But he asked me to be on a podcast um, where he was doing like AFI Top 100 movies of Mm -hmm. all time, Mm -hmm. one episode per movie. And... um, 
they were breaking up the episodes with like a, a quote unquote expert in the middle to talk about something related to the movie. And the movie for me was Sophie's Choice. Oh my goodness. Um, a real <laughs> upper and yes. also definitely from made when I was like two. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, he wanted to talk about dialect, like what Meryl was doing and how you tell stories with dialect. And I've actually coached Paul, so it was fun to be like, right. you know. Mm-hmm. I literally walked out of that podcast studio and I called my mom and I was like, oh man, podcast is like my medium. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, that's what you do with what you learn from the conference. I love that. And so I kind of, you know... So the the end of the story is that the podcast is called Permission to Speak. Yes. And it is going to be an interview every week with... I sort of... I think of it as sort of two generally two categories. Either people who are experts on The Voice. Like, there are social scientists and linguists and speech coaches who coach Hillary Clinton, who coach, you know, corporate people who are, like, sitting on massive amounts of tips Mm -hmm. and can come on and really, you know, sort of throw best ideas into the pot. Mm -hmm. And then the other massive category is people who are who would not call themselves quote unquote voice experts who are just like living mm-hmm. life in some industry where either because of a leadership position or because of some bravery they have a perspective they can share and i'm sort of excited to bring some people who we think of in the public eye but we don't necessarily associate with the voice bring them in and get to kind of talk to them about the stuff that they haven't necessarily talked about in other interviews that is about how, sort of we're public persona mm-hmm. how do we build our public persona in a way that feels authentic mm-hmm. I'm so excited. Oh, thank you. I'm going to be subscribing immediately. (laughs) Taking all the notes. Man, this sounds like such an ad. It's just me being like, this is a thing that I want to do in the world. But yeah, I think you're correct. I I haven't heard many things that it's geared to how to use your voice, how to speak, how to find your voice. Right. And also, here's some tips for just in case you are a little nervous or trying something new. I think this is fantastic. Completely. It really is. Thank you. It really is like the super... um, literal version of the voice in terms of like we can all think about how upspeak and vocal fry and these these things we might have been told at some point mumbling whatever right. um, are getting in our way if they are results of the patriarchy I mean if they're results right. of like you know play smaller please we'd like you better smaller which sometimes by the way works in our 20s and doesn't work the older we get right mm-hmm. and then it's like oh that's interesting my old tricks that helped me quote unquote get what I want right when I was younger, and cuter yeah. in that you know way where society is like ah aren't serving me anymore right. and yeah. what that transition is i think all of us know that moment whether it's like a big thought about our life or just a little thought in some conversation where it's like oh that way that i undermine myself um it helped me back then right. it's not helping me right now right and so there is this thing where it's like the literal side of how we use our voice and warm-ups and whatever kind of, you know, I had a voice doctor in to talk about, like, literally she does, like, surgery on people's vocal cords. Like, that's, okay, wow. we're going literal on the wow. voice. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also just the massive, much more metaphorical thing of, like, how do we decide what we care about and how do we talk about it like we care about it? Because sounding like we care in our voice um, is something we've not, most of us have been conditioned away from. Right, right. And speaking of all of those ideas. When you when you think of vocal fry, when we think of upspeak, mm. it's definitely very, very gendered. Yep. Can you give us a social, what you think is the reasoning? Obviously, patriarch, 
Yes, yes. That's a blanket statement. In a way, it almost feels like a cop-out, though. If you're like, you know, why? The patriarchy. Move on. End of story. So what is your theory, or not even theory, but what are your thoughts on all of that, and and why is it so gendered, and why is it used even more and more now, as if it's almost like a new trend to say, she has vocal fry. Yes. Well, by the way, it's so not new. Like, when I've done some research on it, (laughs) it's like, now it's like our entire, you know, semi-adult life. Like, I want to say for the last 15 or 20 years, you can Google vocal fry and find uh, think pieces about how women Mm -hmm. are undermining themselves. One of my favorite things is I saw in an article um, about such things that a woman who was writing a really searing piece about, like, how vocal fry is so gendered, as you say, found an amazing video put out by Duke's Business School with a dude in the middle of the camera talking about how research has been done, the vocal fry undermines women's job uh, prospects when they go through like an interview process. That guy ends almost all of his sentences with vocal fry. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And what's fascinating is that, you know, like the, in this video that is sort of about shaming vocal fry that was produced by multiple people, mm-hmm. no one thought to even notice. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's right. the thing. Because there's a thing that, that linguists say uh, that like sort of throughout time, at least in Western culture, here's how language evolves. We've all noticed. Like now we've all been alive enough to be like, oh, we we used to say that word that way and now we say it this way or right. that word is now out of fashion or there's a new word in, in English because internet, you know, right. whatever. Mm-hmm. And the, the sort of general linguistic like wisdom around that is that the most creative groups of people when it comes to sort of changing up the way we pronounce things or the way we make verb tenses happen or whatever is often the people on the most margins, often African-American communities, gay communities. And then it gets mainstreamified, quote unquote, by young white women. And then it becomes mainstream because their parents start doing it or whatever. Right. And now and now it's become a societal thing. So obviously there's a lot of like, you know, hot button social justice stuff and what I just said. But the main thing is that the the main reason I bring it up is that the way that young women communicate is ultimately what pushes language, what evolves language. Mm. So, yeah, we can totally say, like, you know, that upspeak and that vocal fry is like that <laughs> really, you know, embarrassing thing girls do. Right. Or you can say... It exists everywhere now. Everyone is doing it in right. certain contexts. Right. And, you know, sure, we can totally point fingers at young girls because what an easy target. Right. Low-hanging fruit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then we can also say, because this is partly my job, is then we can also say as those younger women become older, we can take some inventory on ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think we do not have to be in a black and white world where it's either all vocal fry all the time or not. We can say that is a socialized thing we've picked up to make us seem smaller than we are vocally because if we ha- if we end with vocal fry, it's like, I care about this thing a lot, but like, or whatever, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Which is like, mm-hmm. serves a purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is like, I'm trial ballooning this thing, but like, I don't care that much. Like, I don't know, whatever. Do you guys care? Because if not, we can drop it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. It's useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can also be the same person who gets a little older or for whatever reason faces uh, a potential power position and, mm-hmm. and can take inventory of the things that we did but don't necessarily have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I guess kind of going off of that, since you've recently gotten into the world of politics and... Um, 
<laughs> this is a big year, uh, we'll say. And I we've done episodes before about how the media critiques women in politics versus men. Um, and can you speak to your, your experiences so far, what you've noticed, um, and how do you navigate that? Yeah, how do you navigate when you see that Elizabeth Warren's speech has been completely <laughs> dismissed? Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, you're like, where did... Where did she go? I mean, I honestly feel like my answer to that question has a lot less to do with my professional life and more to do with just like my activism friends who are super inspiring to me. And then it is literally a question of like, if the media is going to fall back on old tropes that are not serving us anymore, Mm -hmm. uh, then like, what can we do to disrupt? Like, what can we, what, what viral things can we do to, you know? Right. But in terms of her actual voice, I mean, I just posted a awesome quote from a Washington Post piece from a few months ago yesterday on, on my on my Instagram for the podcast, which is at Permission to Speak Pod. There you go. Um, <laughs> I'm growing my audience there and would love you to join. Yes. Um, but it's a quote that I loved that I came across when, okay, these these two older women spoke at the let's take a moment, impeachment hearings. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. Um, in like November-ish, I don't know. Um, and one of them was named Marie Ivanovich. Mm-hmm. And she uh, did a beautiful job and no one quite knew what to like make right. of her. Like, right. was she being casual? Was she being formal? Was she serious? Was she emotional? We don't know what to do. And at right around that same week, some guy who actually I don't think any of us remember the name of also was on the stand. What do you say? Whatever. Was yes. was also part of the, the hearing. And somebody in the press had said, as soon as he opened his mouth, we trusted him because he reminded us of Walter Cronkite, the most trusted voice in news or whatever. Yeah. And what this woman, uh, Monica Hess at the Washington Post had said was, you know, when Marie Ivanovich opens her mouth as a 61-year-old, polite, extremely well-educated and elevated woman, we don't have a reference. We just don't. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, Klobuchar said in some early um, debate when she was like, who's your favorite female president mm-hmm. of America? You know, <laughs> it's like, right, we just don't actually have. And I find even as somebody who's like interested in this and, and and professionally involved, I find it really hard to like even hold in my head like who, what women through time I admire vocally. And mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's a, I think it actually is kind of a, patriarchal dissonance. Mm-hmm. So part of what I'm interested in with the podcast, but also what you're talking about is each of us like getting better at noticing whose voices are really cutting through. And if it's a woman like it does it's not that the voice has to be perfect. We don't even know what that is. That's not a thing and it's certainly not a thing we expect of men. Right. Mm-hmm. But is that voice sounding like it's connected to a heart and to a brain and to a person? And you know, whatever our definitions of authentic, but that's probably it, you right. know, something like that. Right. And then can we, like, try to try to admire it rather than judge it? Love that. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I definitely feel like a lot of us go through periods where we're very judgmental of other women as women. Mm-hmm. But then when you start to get the brunt of it too, you, you, you do mature yeah. and you realize what you're doing. And um, I, when I hear people say things. Uh, I was researching recently um, how radio frequencies yep. used to just be better oh my God. for like lower... It was literally made for men. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> literally made for men. Exactly. But and then women sounded quote unquote tinny and it's like 
or our <laughs> technology <laughs> yeah. was not made for us. Right. Yes. And and just that whole idea of we're still getting advice based on that technology of how to sound Thank more you masculine. for bringing that up. Exactly. Because I feel like there are moments when I'm like, why me? I'm not like the most, you know, <laughs> I, I don't have like 80 billion certifications in the voice. There right. are people who are like Linklater certified. And, but, you know, there's like, a, there's a lot of like sort of modalities of vocal work and breath work and stuff. But I've always been more interested in like when our voice hits the air, the real, the real stuff right. of like what happens when we've been socialized in one way and then we start to become aware of it. And, you know, part of being this sort of young guard in that is being like, that's a lot. That's a hundred years of assumptions. Yes. No one questioned. Right. And here we are being like, oh, maybe we should just like <laughs> rewrite the rules on that because somebody who we don't respect made the rules. Right. Right. And it's cha- like technology has changed. Right. The world has changed. But it bothers me when we hear she doesn't sound authentic. I don't trust her. But it's because we're also being told you have to sound this way. Yeah. To yeah. be authoritative. Totally. Right. I mean, something I'm really interested in and that is the, the other side, if I'm being totally honest, is the other side of being like the new guard is that I'm always going to um, like air a little bit on the side of like, you know, like burn it all down. Right. Mm-hmm. But there are, there are absolutely less safe environments to experiment. Right. And so for me to just, you know, especially, I mean, here's an example for black women who've been told that they're angry. Right. You know, for me to come in and be like, be your authentic self, just be out, like out right. and la- like that is irresponsible. Right. We have to take into account what feels authentic for us and also what is going to get us the type of pushback right. in a space that is going to not get us what we want. Right. And then we have to also, as collectively as a society, like change those spaces. Right. And that's you know whatever a three pronged thing. That's a cha- that's a thing. And right. I, but I, but but to say you know there's this whole thing of me people where they are when it comes to like inclusion stuff. I want the world to be a place where people can be the loudest, best, most you know beloved of themselves version of themselves in every context. And since that isn't the world we're currently in, we we there is a navigating that has to happen. Right. And. You know, part of sort of owning our own voice is pushing the boundaries a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, having a sisterhood, doing mm-hmm. the same thing, and then like seeing what boundaries over time can get eroded. Right. And this is a conversation about balancing the platform, that not everyone has the same opportunity like you were saying, yeah. that not everyone has that ability to just come up and say something and hope yeah. Okay. Oh, but I love what you're saying too because I've always thought, I mean, I think about this as somebody who has a kid in um, the entertainment industry, right. not not in the entertainment industry as a whole, but on set mm-hmm. because actually it's quite rare mm-hmm. to have a, you know, he's not a toddler anymore, but, you know, for a while he was. That's how, that's how growing up works. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and for a while I was like, wow, I am the only person on these sets, only woman I should say on these sets who have, mm-hmm. who has a kid. And there would be women who would be like in the hair and makeup trailer who had like 16-year-olds who had taken a lot of time off from that kind of like 12-hour day work and mm-hmm. then gone back. But my point is that I have, I find a real, um, I relish those opportunities when I'm in a slightly power position mm-hmm. to sort of model right. and normalize. Right. And that's the same for anybody in any industry. Right. If you are in a power position and you have what I like to call a non-patriarchal sound of power, yeah. you just don't sound like those old, you know, grumpy white guys that we grew up hearing yes. as as authority. Use it. 
and right. people who are are inspiring all of us. Right. I mean, there's there's all kinds of reasons that Lizzo inspires us, but that is one of them. Right. And you know, run with run with the platform you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Can you talk a little bit more about being on set as that person and what's that like? Because I know, I, I mean, it's changing, but a lot of uh, a lot of men on sets, oh my God. <laughs> and and you. Running out in between, like with hair and makeup and mm-hmm. having that confidence to do it. And just, just what's your experience? I mean, I will say that my actors um, always end up calling me some version of like a dialect ninja, which is like <laughs> quite a compliment because uh, as you can probably tell, my like personality is pretty big in a space, but on set, I really do minimize it. I really am trying to just be of use to the production. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a... Not the red carpet side of Hollywood, but the production side, which I is the word that we all use to mean like all those people who show up for 12-hour days, 13, 14-hour days, and our union, mm-hmm. and are mostly, it's like Teamsters mm-hmm. and uh, a, a lot of like skilled laborers in like who do, who are brilliant at holding a, a microphone called a boom over people's heads at just the right height that like you, they pick up the sound, but not the right height that the boom gets in the shot. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you know, it's a skill. Mm-hmm. But by and large, and I'm working on a show right now that is r- the show content itself is all about racial tension. Mm. And yet the crew is almost exclusively white. Wow. Almost exclusively male. And the few of us who aren't, like, are serious solidarity uh, allegiances. Mm-hmm. And like the allegiance is not just like, hey, I'm taking care of you. The allegiance is also, we've had quiet conversations about how weird it is right. when like you're in a context like that where the power structure is so totally obvious and like, ugh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, and the, and the problem is, and I, I'm not really just like painting like white men as the problem in, in general. I'm actually saying specifically that I'm really, I've noticed myself surrounded. I hope none of them are going to listen to this, but I'm kind of just I'm assuming they're not. <laughs> yeah. um, I've noticed a huge amount of like nobody in in these guys' lives has ever uh, shown them their privilege or or pushed them to be better. Right. And there are little ways in which I do because I'm like, oh, I mean, I guess I have the yeah. obligation because I'm here. Right. And I call them on stuff, uh, which makes me a real fun <laughs> feminist killjoy. Hashtag yes. feminist killjoy. <laughs> um, but, um, and I've gotten a lot of like, uh, can you take a jokes right. because of oh, it? Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny ones. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is also just demoralizing. I mean, sometimes I'm not up for right. calling people on stuff. I'm more just like listening to people saying things that are depressing and right. not and like micro. They're micro. So it's not like, you know, fireable offenses. It's just like, wow, you have no idea that every woman who, you know, is directing or who's in a power position, you don't like for some weird reason. Right. That is yeah. odd, huh? Hmm. What could it be? Hmm. <sighs> so, yeah, I mean, that's the part of, of Hollywood that doesn't get discussed that much because right. we often are talking about power people and the, like, sort of schlubby white dude archetype that I'm talking about would not consider themselves power people. Right. They are only powerful in so much as they are taking jobs from people who right. might be a, a better influence on a set. Right. I don't know who the women are who do a lot of those jobs because I haven't met them. Right. 
Actually, we, um, Annie and I were talking about that because I met a woman in Atlanta because, you know, we have a lot of yes, film oh my God. coming through. Yes, I've done some of, I've coached some Marvel stuff from yes. afar, oh. but no one has ever, oh. no one has ever flown me oh, in. So. Oh, I don't know what's up. I've never been to Atlanta, you guys. You got to come to Atlanta. <laughs> come sure, on. You're a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hear. All the good times. But yeah, one of the things that I had met was a woman who was a part of the construction and yep. sets and such. Amazing. And she was a painter and I asked her, I was like, Wait, so how many women do you work with? And we were talking about this as because it's just so hard sometimes to get out of that trope of the idea of misogyny and, and the patriarch really teaching you about coming together to support women as opposed to competing with women. So when I was talking with her and I asked her how many women are a part of this, she's like, I'm one of three of this giant massive crew. But she's like, but you know, it's cool, it's cool. They like me. I'm not one of those girls type of situations. And I kind of just stared at her. And I I was trying not to make a face because I was really interested because I was hoping maybe we could make this an Mm -hmm. episode. And then she talked about the fact that the main crew or the main hot person who hires never hired women until the last two years. And she was so proud that she was one of the few women. And that kind of trope is you don't, she didn't think of that outside of that because she made it in. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, I think I also think of men who just recognize this is normal. Yeah. I like normal. Yeah. Like right. I can complain about I'm not funny. as it's good like, as this, but I'm here. So yeah, why not? It makes me think about how like every industry has its own like evolution around. Right. I mean, the word parody came to mind, obviously. <laughs> we're talking about so, so far from parody, but yeah. Um, but you know, like, because we think about some of the professions like law as being also like super strong in the on the man side in like the 70s and there was like reckonings and that, you know. But now we're talking about you know, whatever, 40 years later, or right. 50 years later, and, and that's it's happening in other industries as though it's, right. you know, new. And it is, I guess, in that industry. Yeah. And so then that, I mean, I feel like what happened in stuff like law, and I'm mostly basing this on my mom's experience having gone to law school and been like one of three women out of wow. a, a class of like 500 or something wow. like that. But, you know, is that all those stories we hear about the older women who sort of like slam the door shut on the next generation coming up and how that doesn't feel as true for our generation. And then it sounds like, you know, from right. your story that like, but in every industry they have to go through that phase where the it first does. phase is right. like, I made it in, screw you. Right. And then the second phase is like, oh, we, what if we were like a lot of women? Like right. that would even make like, that would make work life better. Right, right. <laughs> it is. I think it I think it's really interesting to see dynamic shift and we talking about what it looks like to again give an even platform, allow someone bring someone up with you who have not had the same opportunities, yeah. same exposures and what that looks like in our generation today. We're going to do our presentation about getting angry and and when you were talking about oh. there's there's this whole idea of yes, let's use anger, but you're correct when it comes to the trope of angry black women that's not necessarily a tool. It is more of a weapon against them, and it definitely is marked against them. And so that conversation of what does it look like when we can take all of these different things that we see as negatives and or all of these different blockages in our way, whether it's, our, again, our voices or the way we speak, our accents, even you know any of those things, as well as our feelings, our emotions, mm. our daily battles in our career, whatever, whatnot. What does it look like when we actually can come forward and use that as a power tool for us to speak yeah. on behalf of whatever needs to be spoken yeah. about yeah. and what we're passionate when we, about. Um, when we're in positions where we feel 
scared, like literally our nervous system is just like, I don't feel safe. Um, we, men, women, everybody, turns into the most generic version of ourselves. And vocally what that means is we use as little pitch as possible. So, so I mean, I like to joke that this is like obviously super gender stereotype and if it doesn't fit you, I'm thrilled. <laughs> but the sort of massive, you know, parody version of it is that in uncomfortable situations, women go to nice and men go to cool. And what that means vocally is that women go up and stay in a very narrow um, pitch range. So it's like, it's. I mean, I call it our Starbucks voice where it's like, oh my God, no, it's totally okay. <laughs> or, you know, I'm so sorry, the, the soy milk is out. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh my God, no one uses soy milk anymore. Now it's oat milk all the time. <laughs> anyway, Delicious. Uh, uh, whereas men traditionally will sense an uncomfortable situation where they aren't, you know, able to sort of be as revealing and vulnerable and will go down in pitch and also have as, as minimal uh, as a pitch range as possible. And then it's like, oh no, dude, that's totally cool. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, bro. Yo, what's up? <laughs> right? And we, we laugh because we this is like so recognizable. Oh, I just love your accent. Your impression. <laughs> that was phenomenal. Yeah. That's um, what I'm enjoying. Um, but, but, you know, the point of it is that w- the opposite is the opposite. Right. So when both men and women have more of a sense of freedom of going up high when it's like, oh my God, and then we're going down low when it's like, but anyway, you know, whatever. <laughs> like we, I don't mean like outside of the range of normal. We're not talking about like so extreme that we feel like we're clowns. Mm-hmm. But I am saying that all of us have so much more vocal range to share the, you know, the actual thought that we're sharing than we sometimes use in uncomfortable situations. Right. And part of my work is like sort of helping people take that leap into acting like they're in a more comfortable situation than right. they are. Right. And anger is totally one of those things that can be, I mean, weaponized was the word I was about to use. That's definitely yeah. violent. But you know, no. it can be it can be weaponized if it's if we're using it as like uh, not something that shuts us down because right. we feel shamey about it, but rather something that, you know, opens us up. And often the solution, regardless of what we look like, is about connecting that anger to a group injustice yeah. rather than something that I haven't processed yet that's making me mad. Right. That's the kind of anger that will almost never serve any of us mm-hmm. publicly. Right. It's a place we can go through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, women, I don't know. I mean, I read Good and Mad by Rebecca Traister, which was right. an amazing book. Yeah. Um, and uh, and also um, Rage Becomes Her by Soroya Shamali, who mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to have in my pod oh, in a few yes. ways. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, unprocessed anger, fine. But also, God, women are never taught how to be angry in a healthy way. Right. So part of yeah. the process, whether we're actually weaponizing it, quote-unquote, for a public talk or just, like, having the feelings is to just actually let ourselves. Right. Like, what is it to have healthy anger? Right. Question mark. Uh, Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Delightful. Let's find out. (laughs) Let's break some dishes together. Yes. (laughs) We have a little bit more in this conversation, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. we're back. Thank you, sponsor. There's this common thread coming up through all of this is that we just need to see more women in, in doing things. Everything. Oh my God, it's so true. 
It's so true. And also we need to acknowledge the ones that are doing it. Right, right. So, you know, right. like I've definitely, I've definitely been guilty of saying like, but there's no women in power. And then it's like, wait a second. Right. I am just not actually taking the second right. to point out. The one, you know, I mean, there's a lot we can learn both from the older generation women who we don't necessarily see ourselves in, the Nancy Pelosi's and the Maxine Waters of the world, who we can revere, but we aren't necessarily like, let me borrow their tricks because that would feel super artificial on me. Right. But then there's also obviously like, you know, the lovingly called the squad yes. in Congress. And then there's also people in all kinds of other industries, whether it's in entertainment or in business, who don't necessarily get like as much of a public eye. Right. But obviously part of my dream with this podcast is I can, you know, shine yeah. that light. Yeah. And part of actually what I've what I'm doing now is that the um final chunk of all of my episodes, I'm asking my guests to bring in a woman whose voice they admire. Awesome. And we listen to a little bit and we talk about it in a way where we're really pointing out what's working. Right. Because it's just a muscle we need to flex. True. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Such a great idea. Yeah. Let's take, let's take that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the competition. <laughs> yeah, we, we would immediately tear <laughs> another woman down. <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Worst feminists. <laughs> yes. The first episode I did was called Bad Feminist. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I love this. I don't know if, if your listeners know this, but the British uh, podcast called Guilty Feminist. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. She's so glorious. Because it's true. I mean, mm-hmm. like, our values, our feminist values also hit our, you know, thoughts. Right. And mm-hmm. our thoughts are sometimes like, oh, man, I didn't shave my legs and I feel ugly. And it's right. like, oh, well, God, how do I square those two things? Right. Exactly. Ay, ay, right. It's an endless battle. It is. <laughs> it's like when we talk about, oh, no, you look beautiful naturally. But like, oh, no, I got to get that foundation a little thicker over here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. But we're in it together. Yes. We are. That's what we matters. Are. We are. <laughs> so, for our listeners, where can they find you? My podcast, Permission to Speak, which I've, you know, uh, obviously been hawking here like aggressively. <laughs> no, I'm just such a nerd. I can't not talk about this stuff. Um, Love it. Anyway, is uh, weekly on Wednesdays. And then. It's so important to me that um, listeners don't feel like they're just listeners, but that they're really part of the community and that they are, you, I should say, are um, really grappling with your own voice in a way where you feel like you can be heard. So if you want to go to the uh, my Instagram of at Permission to Speak Pod or a forthcoming website, I'm going to have all kinds of ways to engage because um, I'm here. We're here. Well, let's do this together. Yes. Let's do it. Oh, thank you so much. Yay. Yeah, this was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much. I love what you're doing. This is a fantastic, fantastic idea. Oh, thanks, you guys. We hope that you enjoyed that interview. It really is fascinating how many anxieties we have around our own voices and around other people's voices and how these structures of power have for so long silenced people's voices because I do think... There's just so many layers of our voices that we have denied or we are just anxious about. Right. I don't know. So it was fascinating to me to hear from her, somebody who specializes in that, of all of these avenues of voice, of dialect and accent and picking that apart and then finding the thing that is that is you. Right. And I think she did an amazing job in giving great advice to not just us, 
but to many people who are trying to find their voice um, and what she's doing and what she's talking about, even when it comes to the clinical level mm-hmm. of voice and speaking. I think it was really fascinating to kind of have a better understanding of the background and the technology even that may affect what people hear or how people hear us as, right. as we speak. Right, that was one of the uh, things I I didn't know that our technology was essentially, I should have, essentially just made for men and it made women's voices all tinny. And anyway, the times have changed, but we, I, one of the things she said that I love the most was we need to change the way we think and judge other people's voices and specifically women's voices. Right. Right. So go check out her podcast, Permission to Speak. And if you would like to email us... You can. Our email is stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Andrew Howard, yeah. and guest super producer, Dan. I don't know your last name, Dan, but you were a delight. <laughs> you were a delight, and you gave us wonderful food advice that we took, we was, took up. It was very delicious. It was very delicious. Thank you. And thanks to you listeners for listening. Stuff I'll Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 